0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Blob Talk Radio. Delving past the headlines. Sorting new the media bias. Exposing the propaganda. And challenging you to new your brain. It's time to
2: tap into the truth. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is indeed time to tap into the truth. Welcome to today's broadcast. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. A little bit later, we will be joined by John Dume, Jr. He is a conservative constitutionalist who has already thrown his hat into the ring for the Republican nomination to run for president. And he will be joining us here in just a few minutes. In the meanwhile, uh, let's go ahead and take a – Take a quick look at a few items a little bit later in the show. Uh, Number one, we will, of course, still have, as usual, headlines you may have missed. We'll be discussing uh, what Michael Moore had to say in regards to how President Obama will be remembered. And uh, we'll also have uh, Outrage of the Week uh, covered. We'll be talking about a subway manager in New Jersey throwing out a disabled veteran from the store.  … because of his service dog. Ordinarily, that's not that big of a deal, except in this particular case, the accusation is that it's because the dog is considered unclean. Yeah, you guessed it. The manager happens to be Muslim. Also, we'll talk a little bit about Chair's reaction to, well, not Chair, Care's reaction to Megan Kelly's uh, recent report. All that will be in the second hour, and I, of course, will welcome phone calls. Uh, we will discuss that in depth. In the meanwhile, I'd like to go ahead and uh, express how happy I am that we're not talking about some major terrorist attack having taken place on the anniversary of 911. Thursday of this past week was the 13th anniversary of a day that changed America, even if it was only temporary. Part of that change, the change I'm talking about, is the change that we saw when Americans realized that we are not living in the bubble that we thought we were. When we realized that at the end of the day, it's you and me and our neighbors, our friends, our church mates, our co workers, we are the fabric of America. We are the United States. We are what makes this country great. And we demonstrated it by pulling together. Even the politicians, for that brief shining moment, all fell in line and stood together. The difference between Democrat and Republican. Although a lot of folks that listen to this show will tell you there's not much of a difference anymore at the national level in the parties, they stood together, and we did what looked to be common sense. We stood together, and we were willing to stand up in a single voice and say, we are America. We will not be bullied. We will not be frightened. We will not be scared off the world world stage. And you, if you are a terrorist, you will not win. Here in the United States, sometimes it's really easy for us to forget we're not in a particularly safe bubble. We see things that Transpire like in Ferguson, Missouri, and we think of that as being isolated. We see things like the Los Angeles riots during the Rodney King incident, and we tend to think these are isolated events. These are cases where Americans turned on each other, but generally speaking, Americans stand together.  … … and we saw that ability to put all differences aside on September 12, 2001. Unfortunately, there was a need by the political apparatus to destroy that unity in order to start trying to win elections again… because the perception of the American people was that one party was far better at the other party at defending the United States, her borders, and her people. And it's hard to say that one party isn't just a little bit better when you look at the intended paths to be taken. We will talk in depth. In fact, I will read the transcript of President Obama's speech…  … for outlining his plan to deal with ISIS. Uh, We'll be doing that in the second half also. may go ahead and do it a little bit earlier if we don't hear uh, from Mr. Dumay. Sometimes, unfortunately, things happen, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time that a guest had to drop out for one reason or another. So while I'm still waiting to hear from him, we'll continue to discuss that. Yeah, when you spend time preparing for an interview, and uh, he was planning on being here for an hour, uh, you're left with an hour's worth of show prep and more show to cover. So we'll kind of fumble with that just a little bit until we can uh, make something positive happen. But in the meanwhile, we'll continue to talk about. This just a little bit, and if you'd like to call in, uh, I suppose we could take a call or two on uh, that topic of America pulling together the day after. Uh, We'll definitely be opening the phone lines up in the second hour to discuss Obama's speech from this past week. So at any rate, we will take a look at that, and those numbers to call in are uh, 347-426-3550… So while we're waiting for the guests to uh, give us a call, uh, let's discuss that. Let's take a look at what it took to remind Americans that we are still at our basis Americans. I don't believe that it really takes a disaster the likes of which we saw… On 9 11 2001. It obviously doesn't take the type of attack we saw on 9 11 a year ago, you know, the Benghazi attack. What we continue to see, though, is that Americans remain divided politically, and mostly this division is a result.  … of a lack of information. See, when you have a lack of information, it's easy to believe what the mainstream media wants to tell you. We inherently want to trust our media. We inherently want to trust our police. We inherently want to trust our government. And the reasons we want to trust the media and the government and our police is because we know what their purpose is. They are there to keep us safe. And we want to feel safe. But as we delve into this negative image that Hollywood and the mainstream media has portrayed about every cop's a bad cop, I mean, when was the last time you saw a, a new television show or a new movie where all the cops were all good guys? Now, realistically, we know that's not the case, but in the 70s and the early 80s, we didn't see every cop portrayed as a bad cop. It's a little bit of social engineering to make us think that, okay, we can't trust these people. We've seen the militarization of our police, and we sit back and wonder why. Now, on the one hand, I have very mixed feelings about that myself because on the one hand, I don't want good cops… Going out there and not having the tools they need to come home safe, I don't want them going out there without the tools to go deal with the bad guys and keep us safe. But we've also discussed before how police officers have a very hard job, and it has to be a hard job when done properly. It has to be because when you're maintaining constitutional liberties… There are a lot of things that they cannot do that they should not do, so where do we advance? Where do we make that step? Where do we make those improvements? We need to have that conversation, and that goes to the very heart of the message that I try to bring every week is that we need to have the conversation, not with our politicians because they're not listening, or at least most of them aren't, not with the activists because they've already picked a side and they will not be swayed until something drastic happens in front of them, but to our friends and our neighbors. We need to have the conversations with our coworkers and our bosses even, although sometimes that can be tricky if they're of a different uh, Political mindset, so you know I approach that one with care. We need to have the conversations with those people so that information is shared, so that truth that you may not be hearing gets out, so that they can find this information for themselves. you know, at the closing of the show, every week. I tell you, be prepared to do your own homework. Don't take my word for anything that I say because I freely admit there are times that I go into a show knowing that I have uh, a fake story, and I go at it, and I'm begging for people to call me out on it. And I have to say that some of the regulars here on this particular podcast, whether they do it in the chat room or email me later… They do that, and that makes me as happy as anything. Now, I don't let them know on air because I want to know what the repercussion is, and I know that some people probably hear it, and they play it off like, oh, this guy's an idiot, and they don't bother calling me out publicly, but they know better. At least I hope there's a lot (laughs) that do that, but we also know there's a lot of folks that don't, and the whole idea is to try and engage you in understanding that no single source of information… Is adequate. No single person, no matter how well intended, can bring you everything you need to know. So as we look at that, we then realize that we have a choice. Either we keep up with everything that's going on in the world, we take the time to put in that effort, or we set back. We tune out to that. We make something else important. You know, the hottest topics this past week outside of the Obama speech had been these terrible stories swirling around the NFL. I heard two really bad stories, and technically you could call it three when you consider they're going after the NFL com- commissioner now as if he's done something wrong, uh, when all he really did was not take. the actual crime, seriously enough, in the domestic abuse case. Then you've got Adrian Peterson now who's been indicted on, I guess, I saw the actual charges I don't have in front of me, but it essentially comes down to child abuse. And then there was one really great story uh, where the Cincinnati Bengals have taken uh, a guy that had tried out for their team, and he didn't make the full squad, but he made the practice squad. One of the real question marks around this guy's ability to make it to that next level is the fact that his four-year-old daughter has stage four cancer, and he needed to spend time with her. And that really cut into his ability to practice and his ability to continue to improve. And essentially, the Bengals were going to cut him completely, but they were sympathetic. His situation, so they gave him a position on the practice squad, and then because they didn't think that that would be enough cash to help, they went ahead and officially listed him on their full active roster, so that he will get the the full league minimum paycheck instead. So they're giving this man money because they felt compassion. And then they turn around and they're selling this guy's jersey, and 100% of the money being collected from the sales of this individual's jersey is going to juvenile cancer research. Now, the Cincinnati Bengals saw an opportunity here in
0: More than once, actually. Do
1: I have to say? Yes, you do. In
0: the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void rep prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I'm going to embrace it as being a simple act of kindness. Because that's what I want to believe. But it doesn't take two seconds to figure out whether the first cynic is going to step back and point out and say, Hey, you know what? Yeah, they saw an opportunity here and they're just trying to get some positive PR, especially with the bad week that the NFL has had. And you know, there may be some truth to that. That might be the only reason they're doing it, but they're still putting a lot of their money on an individual team basis. Putting a lot of their money into doing exactly that. So that to me is still a great story. But is that something we should be talking about when ISIS is on the march? Is that something that we should be overly concerned about? Yes, it's worth mentioning, but that should be one of those little headlines you may have missed stories. It should be on the segment towards the end of the show. But you got people talking about that in a… Today, uh, one of the biggest topics I heard people talking about was all the upsets in college football yesterday. Now, here in the southern states, we tend to take college football a little more seriously than they do up north. Up north, if you're a sports fan, you're into the pros. Down here, we're into pro sports too, but you know, college football is king in this neck of the woods. And so that's what we're talking about. That's what I heard Dozens of people talking about uh, before going into church, uh, before service started this morning, all that, and I'm thinking to myself, why is this dominating the conversation? We have so many outrageous things going on in this country. We have still nothing that even remotely resembles an actual budget for our federal government… We have overreach going left and right. We have the EPA pretending like they have force of authority of law. We have a imperial president who occupying the White House but never actually doing the job of being president who's far more concerned about optics than results. Now… During the president's speech this past week, and you know, those of you who have heard the show long term realize I have a hard time actually referring to him as the president. Uh, but just so that uh, everybody can follow along in case some liberal accidentally comes across it and they're listening uh, <laughs> a little bit longer than they planned to. During his speech, there was this concerted effort to try and continue to paint ISIS as being very different than the rest of Islam. Gave out a live tweet that – because for those of us who were paying attention, we also heard uh, Secretary Kerry…  … … and White House press secretary and a few other people in this administration make this same claim that these terrorist actions are not representative of Islam. So there seems to be a concerted effort by the administration to make sure that everybody, every one of us – because you know obviously we're not smart enough to understand that without them pointing it out concerted effort to protect Islam more than to protect America. So I tweeted, is it just me, or does it seem like Obama and company cares more about protecting Islam than America? And then I used the hashtag Obama speech, which of course was the way to trend it, get it seen. And while most people simply…  … retweeted a different tweet when I just very snarkily said I missed the days when the grown-ups were in charge. That got retweeted uh, quite a bit. The only people that responded to the tweet about protecting Islam more were a bunch of snarky leftists. And they were trying to be funny. They were trying to score points with their friends and their followers on Twitter by responding to my statement. And that was really all there was to it. There was no fact behind it. There was no, uh, we're going to have a legitimate conversation. There was just, Oh, I'm going to crack a joke because uh, my leftist friends are going to think this is funny, and we'll do it at your expense, and that's fine. That's a big part of what Twitter's for, anyway. But it really demonstrates the lack of substance for the few people that remain supporting this so-called president and his administration. We have an unrealistic goal put in front of us of. managing ISIS. We have a president that continues to draw fire for referring to it as ISIL instead of ISIS. Now, to me, it doesn't matter if you're calling them the Levant or not. Some people are very offended by it, saying that this is really a subtle context…  … … for the president and his cronies to say that they don't believe that Israel has a right to exist. Since I don't know the man's mind and I don't know the man's heart, I can't say that that's the case or not, but it seems compelling. I'll tell you this right now. If ISIL was all I had heard initially, that's probably what I would call it, and I promise you it would have nothing to do with not standing with Israel. I call it ISIS, primarily because that's all I heard in the first few weeks. So to me, that's who they are. They are ISIS. So whether you want to call them the Islamic State, whether you want to call them the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, whether you want to call them the big boogeyman hiding in the desert, it doesn't matter what you call them. What matters is the fact that we recognize the fact that these people are beyond the pale. They are beyond psychotic… They have a pre Dark Ages view of Islam. Now, for most of Islam, they do tend to have this belief that as you go through, if you'll read the Quran and read the uh, Hadith, and they have some other holy texts that go along with, but those are the two primary, for those of you who may not be that familiar with. There is a standard idea that, yes, this was true at the time it was said, but then as they say something that seems contradictory later, then you are to accept the later version. Well, there's no question that ISA still believes in the initial uh, convert or die all the way across the board. So they're dangerous people. We can't. Ignore how dangerous they are just because we would like to. You know, if we're going to sit back and watch college football and not worry about what's going on in the world today, then that's fine until it hits home. Then, once it hits home, what are we supposed to do? Then we're going to sit back and we're going to be mad. We're going to be so angry that our government has allowed this to happen when it really is up to us to keep an eye on our neighborhoods. It really is up to us to do the things that the police can't do. That's why we need to be… Marching and defending the Second Amendment every time some lily-livered weenie from the left stands up and says, guns kill people. I want to protect my children. If you wanted to protect your children, you would have a gun, and as soon as they are reasonably old enough, you will start teaching them gun safety too. Why did the Japanese not invade the mainland? … here in the United States during World War II. They were afraid of the level of gun ownership in this country. Why have we not seen ISIS or some similar outfit attacking American soft targets again? First of all, they're very patient and methodical. The people that are planning are trying to plan They're very patient… They don't want to move too early because what happens if they move too early? Then they have to deal with that same mentality because they know despite the government's best efforts, there would still be a rifle behind every blade of grass. If the folks on the left have to way, that won't be a legitimate threat anymore. If you think our borders are wide open now, try standing back and watching the border if we're not illegally allowed to have weapons anymore. And yes, I say weapons intentionally. It's a generic term because first they take the firearms. What's next? They don't stop there. Uh, they, maybe it's uh, arrows. Maybe it's blades. Maybe it's gasoline. Well, you're not allowed to have your own gas anymore because you might possibly turn it into a bomb of some kind. You're not allowed to buy your own fertilizer anymore. If you want to be a, a farmer, you have to apply for a permit, and we will send someone out fertilize your farm area for you. Centralized planning would love for that. In fact, I know that Larry is in the chat room, and maybe he knows exactly whether or not there isn't something along those lines in Agenda 21, eventually taking complete control of Farming. I mean the EPA is trying to take uh, charge of a ditch line in your backyard right now the way the regulation has been written. So what's next for America? Where does our freedom go when we don't stand up for it? It goes away. And we still have people in this country right now standing up and saying, what have you lost? What did you really lose when they passed the Patriot Act. I lost my right to privacy. They haven't come and picked me up right now for any particular crime, but the bottom line is at any point in time, they could make any piece of information they've collected on me fit circumstantially to just about any crime they want to make out. And the same thing is true for every person in this country… I have made cell phone calls and talked to family members and fans of the show where we have talked about how utterly ridiculous some of the things the government's doing. And we've talked about something I've heard referred to as the Bubba effect, where uh, people will get mad at the government to the point of uh, wanting to take up arms against the government because they simply see it as part of the problem. So in a joking fashion, I have in the past done my little voices and said, oh, yeah, we're going to go do this, and right there, and what have you, and and so on and so forth, whatever. I'm not going to give any specifics at this point because the NSA already knows, and for the most part, it was pretty stupid on purpose. That's the gist of it, but the fact they have those recordings and attached to my phone conversations… There's no way that if they decide I become a big enough threat to whatever they're doing that they don't use that against me, even if it is taken completely out of context. In fact, uh, Larry on his show, The Prime Directive, has done a, a specific show talking about uh, that very thing. We face perilous times for our liberty, not because we're in danger of our government right now, but because we could be very much so in danger of future regimes. And it's important that you note a difference when I refer to an administration and a regime because regimes are about sweeping changes…  … the type of sweeping change that takes away individual liberty, that takes away your right to personal property, your right to privacy within your person. That's what we've lost since 9-11, and a lot of people just got in line because we wanted to be united… On September 12th, 2001, we wanted to pull together. We wanted to help the government any way we could to go get the bad guys that had hit us. So we went along with it. Then a lot of people…
0: that's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VTW Void we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Get go. We're kicking, yelling, and screaming. And part of the problem that I had with listening to those folks doing the kicking and yelling and screaming was the simple fact that a lot of them then were the folks on the left. The same people that kept trying to tell me government should be doing everything suddenly was telling us, well, this is something the government shouldn't be doing. And it seems like you're trying to tell me that we shouldn't be protecting America. But again, it's about the optics. Seems to be the catchword now. Isn't it a great buzzword? It's the optics of the situation. Fancy way of saying it's all about how it looks. It doesn't matter what's actually happening. It's a matter of how it looks. Now, Mr. Obama should have been far more concerned about the optics. of going to the golf course immediately after having a speech about an American journalist being beheaded by ISIS. He should have been more concerned about the optics of how it looks when he refuses to come off vacation from Martha's Vineyard. When you see someone like Cameron in the UK jump off of his vacation at the very hint that there was a possibility that the guy holding the knife in that video… Might have been British. There was nothing concrete or conclusive at that point. There was no way of knowing. But instead, Mr. Cameron understands that the nature of being the guy in charge is that you have to lead, that you are always on the clock, and your vacation time is dependent solely on. Who is doing what when you're not in the office, and there are still certain things that only you can do. Now, there's no way on earth that Mr. Occupier Barack Hussein Obama believes for a second that there's only one person who can do what he does because he's not the one doing anything anyway. Valerie Jarrett is far closer to being our president than Barack Hussein Obama is. Seems she makes way more decisions and way more of the calls. So, what have we got going on? We have a guy who walks around who stands in front of the cameras playing the role of the president. We have other people, extreme leftists, calling the shots. He's a front man, which is far better than uh, what some of the folks on the left who are former supporters of his have to say about him these days because there's more and more people on the left that realize they've been bamboozled… There's more people realizing the truth that he's just an anti American socialist who wants this country to be transformed into something closer to a European socialist company, but European socialist country. Sorry, don't know why I said con- company, but he wants us to look more like them. But he's not – that's not the end. He'll be finished there, and neither will the people behind him who are pulling the strings. They want something that resembles more the old Soviet-style socialism. They want… This country – tell me if you've heard this before – fundamentally transformed, and they want that to happen on their timetable. They want that to happen in a fashion that will let them take baby steps because it's – we've talked about it before – incrementalism. The American people will allow anything to happen as long as we set back and we do it slowly… As long as we set back and we let people get used to this idea first and then this next idea, it's not so bad. Let's go ahead and put images into all the forms of media that they consume. Let's let's make funny television shows making fun of conservatives. Let's make science fiction shows where – People who talk about freedom and liberty are all bad guy terrorists. Let's socially engineer the next generation of people watching these images into thinking the way we want them to think. Now, we talked before on the show about the push squads. You know, the Obama administration admitted over a year ago that they actually have employed push squads people that push you into thinking a certain way. Now, we've known for a long time that they like to use taxes to alter your behavior to a certain fashion. They say smoking is bad. Let's raise taxes on cigarettes. But then somehow uh, they turn around and take all the money – quotation around the word all – all the money that comes from The taxes raised from the sale of cigarettes to help fight cancer or to help fight – to help with uh, non-smoking treatment plans to help smokers quit and all this wonderful, wonderful stuff. And then because people become so accustomed to having those programs available when they do manage to get smoking to all-time historical lows… Well, they can't cut out the program, but they're not bringing in the same tax dollars anymore. What do they do? Well, they've got to take the money from somewhere else, don't they? we have done the same thing with alcohol, and we have done the same thing with any other behavior that they deem to be unacceptable. In fact, the soda tax we've seen tossed about in, Cal- uh, in New York and uh I've heard them mention it in California. I don't think it's actually taken to the, the floor of the legislature just yet. But yeah, you know, I would be shocked if we don't see it at some point in the next couple of years. We see these things transpire, so they want to control how you think. Now, these push squads are groups of psychologists that have no other job but to sit back and look at the optics of any issue and to try and spin it in a fashion so that they can go out and say whatever needs to be said in order to make you think that they're the reasonable person and that if you believe any differently, you're the unreasonable person. But guess what? I'm not a smoker. I'll occasionally light up a cigar on rare occasions, but I am not a smoker. I would prefer people not smoke around me because it does make it hard for me to breathe. But I do not have the right nor the inclination to tell somebody else they can't smoke. If they want to quit, I'm all for helping them. But part of the reason why I have no inclination to tell them that they can't has a lot to do with the simple fact that, oh, guess what? My rights end where the next persons begin, and unlike what the IRS is going to try and tell me here when I file this year's taxes, I do not have a shared responsibility. So you can take your shared responsibility fee and stick it up your backside. They are responsible for them, and all I ask is that they be responsible for them. Let them take responsibility for their own actions. If you choose to smoke knowing that it can cost you potential health issues, then that's on you. But I don't have the right to tell you you can't. If you want to eat sugary foods, we all know it's not good for you, especially in large quantities. But you have a right to spend your money in the fashion that you see fit, and there is part of where the disconnect happens between us and the folks on the left because the folks that are on the left and in government, they don't believe we have any money. We're just taking some of their money for a little while, and we should very patriotically stand in line and give it back to them whenever, however, and however much of it that they ask and we should just be happy they let us keep any of it. That, that is the message we get. Now, of course, they'll say that's an oversimplification, that's an exaggeration, or my favorite, that's just not true. Yet how many of us have heard these leftist politicians say, oh, that's just not true, and then before they even get out of the same paragraph – while they're talking, they start explaining to us how they need more tax money for some pet project. I doubt seriously that any of us have missed the irony. Some of us maybe haven't noticed because instead, right now, instead of listening to this show, we're watching one of the early NFL games on CBS or ABC or Fox or whoever's carrying the games right now. I don't think ABC has early games. I think they've got the Monday night games, although I thought they moved that to ESPN. Anyway, I digress. We're not talking about sports. I don't know why I keep going that way except for the fact it's just another distraction. Now, I am not an anti-sport guy, though. I've heard some folks get on shows like this and start ranting about how ridiculous sports are, period. I think youth sports plays a tremendous role in the development of young people's character because it teaches them extremely important lessons uh, about life, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that sometimes, no matter how hard you prepare, you're just not going to win. It teaches you that if you don't prepare, then people that you should be able to beat are still going to beat you because if you do prepare, if you put in the work, if you put in the effort, it's Increases your odds greatly. You can, especially with the aid of teammates, if properly prepared, overcome those who might be more talented than you. But it also teaches you that sometimes you are going to come up against people that are more talented than you, that were better prepared than you, and in the end, the only thing that made the difference was the fact that they were prepared. So it is your job to learn from that experience and be yet better prepared the next go round now at this point I, I don't see any reason mentioning it, however, John uh, Dumay has not uh, contacted me yet. I will see what we can do, and we will probably make an effort to reschedule him on another broadcast. so if anybody is listening specifically uh, to hear what John has to say Uh, I apologize and I'll make an effort to get him back on at another point if he does still call on if somehow we miscommunicated times uh, since he is out on the west coast uh, even though we were very clear in our communications about eastern time uh, for the start times sometimes uh, sometimes the folks in California have a hard time making that uh, three o'clock start time here because it's only about noon Uh, so It can be troubling. If he does give us a call, we might give him the second hour, Uh, but at this point, I want to make sure that if anybody is tuning in specifically to hear John, uh, you didn't miss him. Uh, He just hasn't gotten back with me as of yet, so uh, we will do what's necessary to get him on at a different point in time if he doesn't give us a call before the end of the show. Now, this this past week I was very frustrated, and I think a lot of people were frustrated with this so-called strategy for dealing with ISIS. I think we may go ahead and uh, kind of get started with that part of the show. Uh, We'll go ahead and move forward with that, and uh, maybe we can get some callers to call in, and uh, we'll discuss it a little more in-depth after it goes through, but I wanted to read the transcripts initially, and I promise I'm not going to do my very bad Obama impersonation when I do it. So if anybody in the chat room hears me start to start to do my Obama voice, say, hey, you promised you wouldn't do that, <laughs> and I will pull back, and I will not do that because I wanted to take a look at it because if you're like me… And I think most of the folks who listen to the show probably are on this particular point. When you hear. It is
0: Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: There is just something that makes you want to tune out, so maybe you only catch part of what he's actually saying. So, And another thing that I've started doing anyway is by taking their performance, and let's make no mistake about it. That's what politicians do these days when they're giving a speech. They're giving us a performance. You take the performance out of it, and you just look at what's actually being said, sometimes – you have a different perspective. So I wanted to spend uh, roughly the 15 minutes or so reading the transcripts, and it's probably going to take a little longer than that because I'm probably going to have to comment a time or two <laughs> as I go. I'm not going to be able to hold all comments to the end you know, like you're supposed to, but I wanted us to take a serious look at what he had to say… Because the first thing to keep in mind is that he admitted not even a full week before he gave the speech that they had no strategy to deal with ISIS. Uh, If I'm going to quote him, he always calls it ISIL. But he had no strategy whatsoever. He admitted it. And, And you could tell by how dismissive he was in saying it that that wasn't a gaffe, it wasn't a misspeak, it wasn't an accident. You know, before the speech, and I've seen this uh, being blown up on some conservative social media sites, uh, before the speech, one of the uh, administration's top officials, who would not be named, uh, made the statement that Syria shares a border with uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, for those of us who are even the least bit familiar with uh, the geography of the area, we know that's just kind of not true. But, uh, you know, they made a big deal about it when he was spending a lot of time talking about Syria and Iraq. And in the purposes of saying that, it's easy enough to understand that. Maybe it was just a misspeak. You know, when you're sitting there, you're thinking about all these different countries in the area, and you're thinking about what the interests are. I I have been saying things one time, and then get ahead of myself verbally while I'm thinking uh, three sentences ahead, and then something from the third sentence ahead slips out instead of what I was actually trying to say. Unfortunately when you say as much crap as I do sometimes it happens. I I think most of us have had similar incidents. So I'm willing to say, okay, because you know, a lot of folks were going, it's pretty bad when the people giving advice and are supposed to be advising don't even know who's next to each other. Well, yeah, that's true. But I think this might have just been a case where somebody
1: misspoke.
2: And then again, maybe this is just me being terribly naive and just desperately wanting to give these people a little more credit than they deserve because at this point, I don't know why I'm still doing it. Maybe I should just believe that they're all either the most incompetent people in the world or the most evil people to ever live. But it's one of the two. They're either completely incompetent or they are downright evil. I mean I wanted to believe that Obama was just a well-meaning ideologue initially. I wanted to believe that because I want to believe in the general goodness of the American people. And it's hard for me to imagine that anyone who has – whether you believe, whether you're a birther and think he was born somewhere else or – and yeah, I admit i am got serious questions because I think there's a reason why he's never uh, released a genuine birth certificate… Of course, I think it probably has more to do with his college years and getting uh, aid as a Florida student and being treated differently. Whether you believe he's an American or not, it's hard for me to imagine there's anybody that spent any significant time, more than four or five years in the United States that haven't been influenced with the positivity of the American people. I mean… We're constantly seeing how bad we are and having it pointed out to the media, which is the point I was making a little earlier, I know, and I'm kind of coming circular. But we see all that, but then in our neighborhoods, we see people doing the right thing every day. We see a lot more people doing the wrong thing than we ever used to, but we still see people doing the right thing. America is a good place. Not because of its government, although thank God for the framers because they did an outstanding job of trying to protect our government from becoming a tyranny. I mean look how long it actually took. But it's not because of the government. It's because of its people. It's because of the people that are honest-to-goodness Americans. And that's not a racist statement either. I know somebody on the left will say, oh, who exactly is an honest-to-goodness American? Anybody who loves this country and who's willing to take a stand for their fellow man, that's an honest-to-goodness American. And that happens regardless of color, creed, and religion, and whatever else you want to throw out there because I've seen some of all of the above. I have not seen a circle the one that doesn't belong – When it comes to what is the face of America, unless, of course, you want to throw in Muslim terrorists in the Middle East, they don't belong. But outside of that, the face of America is the face of the melting pot. The face of America is the face of humanity, not members…  … of the human race that want to destroy humanity, not members of the human race that want to set themselves apart from the remainder of humanity. Now, Lady Michelle uh, in the chat room said that uh, of the two, when I was making the point about either being completely incompetent or just downright evil… She seems to think that it's most likely the downright evil, and then she expounded on that by making the statement that Obama during his first election said that he wanted to fundamentally change America. I think we all remember that. I don't think he started denying that one yet, although with everything else he denies, who knows what's coming? But she also makes the point that a person doesn't want to fundamentally change something that he loves or believes in… And that, Lady Michelle, is the truest thing I've heard today. There is no question. I mean, I I wish I had said that just now. I can't take credit for it. I would love to sit here and play it. But, you know, again, that's part of why I love the folks that listen to this show. They're smart and they're paying attention. And, you know, it still comes back to what do you love about America? And I don't know that he can answer anything other than the fact that there were people gullible enough to vote for him. You know, and that's – that may be the only thing. I mean we all heard Michelle Obama say for the first time in her adult life she was proud of her country. So why was she spending so much time not being proud? What was it that kept her from being proud before? Because – There are some great things in this country. We have had our dark moments. Name for me a nation that has existed for more than 50 years that doesn't have a dark chapter. In fact, I would say a nation that's existed for more than five years that doesn't have a dark chapter, and you're probably going to be hard-pressed to find one that's existed at all that doesn't have at least a dark chapter because people are still flawed. We are fundamentally flawed in our nature. Some of us are going to make monumental mistakes. Andrew Jackson is one of my favorite presidents in American history because of his attitude and things that he had in his bearing. But when you look at what he did to the Cherokee people, he may very well be one of the worst presidents we ever had. Not because he wasn't in his basis a decent person, but because he had been raised a certain way, and he did have racist ideas against the Indians, some of which was well-founded based on his past. But it creates prejudicial thinking, and the Cherokee people didn't deserve what they got from him. Forgive me for a second that I actually uh, communicate here. I hate to do this live on the air, but you know, this is this is a situation when I'm producing by myself, which I am today. I don't have very many options. I am, however, in the process of making sure that we can get uh, John Demay on in a future broadcast. So not real sure exactly what transpired. Uh, we'll get details and we 'll have them on a different show and I will rechange the uh, i 'll change the description on this one and we 'll try it again at a later point but back to the uh, back to the point I was trying to make is the fact that even good people make mistakes we are fundamentally flawed, and when we 're doing the best we can, I think in general, we still do pretty well. But we're going to have those dark chapters. Those dark chapters, however, does not undo the brilliance of the framers in putting together the Constitution. It doesn't undo the faith and leadership that George Washington showed in not only leading an army that was constantly being ignored by the Congress and not getting paid, not getting supplies to them… But in telling the Congress, once it was all said and done, we just fought a war to get our independence from tyranny. I will not be your king. We're talking about people of conviction – of high moral character, and heaven help us, because every time I say the word moral or discuss values that are something other than leftist ideology, then I get pummeled as being some type of uh, religious nut job, which I know if you listen to the show, I rarely delve into religion. I don't run away from it. You know by now that I am indeed a Christian, that I believe. Uh, in Jesus, you've heard me mention attending church. You've heard me mention working through church organizations, but I don't sit here and make this about religion because that's not what this show's supposed to be about. I do think that I'm helping to serve a higher purpose in so much as when I look at the numbers, I know people are hearing the show in the podcast form. I may not get a whole heck of a lot of listens live, which… Now, I'll admit I'm not getting the type of live audience I would like to get decent numbers, and I've got a a solid group of folks that come back on a regular basis. They don't always hop into the chat room, but I've got three or four folks that are there almost every week and I'm so happy to see you guys because you guys interact too. This is like a little meeting place for us, and this is part of the social media aspect of what blog talk provides here but As we do all these other things, I still think it gives us the opportunity to let everyone else know that there are people who feel like you do. You are not alone. It's the same reason that we congregate in churches so that we know that we're part of a larger family, that there are people that feel the same way you feel about a certain topic. There are people that feel the same way you do about a certain issue. But most importantly, there's also people that you may not agree with completely but are still willing to listen to you given the chance. But you're welcome to call this show, and as long as you are respectful and you cite actual facts and then make sure that you're – Let people know that opinion is opinion, and as long as that's happening, we can have that conversation. I'm not going to cut you off because I disagree with you because that's not a conversation, and Americans need to get back to conversation. I am open-minded on just about anything. I'm willing to let you present to me information and facts, and you might change my mind. You see, that's how the conversation is supposed to work. That's how honest debate is supposed to work. We don't get honest debate in D.C. anymore. All we get is spin. And in fact, right now, with the midway point of the show, I'm going to throw this out again, and this is my official endorsement for Danny Page for U.S. Senate. Danny Page has been on the show before. Uh, … three times at this point, and uh, while we haven't scheduled it yet, he has agreed to come on the show one more time before the November elections. Hopefully we'll have some great news to go with that. So you know, uh, my official endorsement, I have said on air here a few times. I wrote this up specifically for him, and it's uh, the truth. And, and it's just as simple. Washington, D.C. was once a place where men of honor… went to debate the issues and to govern the land with the best interest of America in mind. Now they didn't always agree. They certainly didn't agree. There was a lot of fighting. Not all of them had the right idea of what the best interest of America was. But because they did believe it was the best interest of America, they were willing to stand up, and they had the honest debates. But since then, it's become… Just a freaking cesspool has become a swamp filled with quicksand and vipers and predators of all sorts with no gold other than to acquire personal wealth and power all at the expense of the American people. And there is only one way to fix that, and this is something that uh, John Dumey, Jr., who was our originally scheduled guest today, would tend to agree with I'm sure… Because having looked at his bio, I know he's one of these guys that gets on the soapbox about people going and voting. And then and it's just this simple. There's only one way to fix the problem. We, the people, have to elect men and women of great character with high moral standards. Not, eh, they're kind of quick with a joke at the bar. I'd like to hang out with them. I wouldn't mind having a beer with that guy. No, we need great. Character. We need George Washington. We need Abraham Lincoln. We need – there are still people like that out there, by the way. I think Ted Cruz is one of those guys. I think Louie Gomers may be one of those guys. I think Rand Paul may be one of those guys, but I'm still trying to decide. I like a lot of the things he stood for to this point. But we need people of great character and with high moral standards that are going to hold themselves and their colleagues accountable to the same standards. They're going to call them out. They're going to say, no, Mimi Pelosi, that is not an acceptable thing. Take your San Francisco values and realize that is not the values of America. That is not the job that we, the elected representatives of the people, were sent to DC to do. That's the kind of people we need, people who are going to listen to their constituents, who are willing to stand up and explain how they voted to their constituents when they come back.  … that do come back to the districts. We need people who are going to stand up and honestly to debate the issues, not just try and spin it for their party or try to win over the media. We need people who are once again going to put America first, and it's with all that in mind that I wholeheartedly and without any reservation whatsoever endorse Danny Page for US Senate. Tennessee needs a conservative voice in DC… And America deserves better than Lamar Alexander. It's just that simple. So if you live in Tennessee and you hear this, if you haven't made up your mind just yet, or even if you have made up your mind you're going to vote for somebody other than Danny Page, let me implore you to… Take the time to check out his website, to follow him on Facebook and Twitter, to, to see what he's posting, to see what he's doing. Sign up for the newsletter as he continues his campaign, and see the man for who he is. He's not a politician, he's not a liar. He's going to shoot straight with you. He's going to be honest. He's going to be fair, and I think he'd be a great senator. Now, let's go ahead and let's get into this. All right, I, I promised I was going to read this, and now I really thought I was going to get started about ten minutes left in the first hour. Now we're about eight minutes into the second hour, and uh, now I'm going to run myself short of time. But here is the transcript. He gave this speech on September 10th, which I had to tell you, as soon as I heard he was giving this speech on September 10th, I had my little antennas raised. My spider sense was tingling. I was concerned that not only was there already something scheduled to happen on the 9-11 anniversary, but that there would be a statement directly afterwards that it was in direct response to the president's words… Your threats mean nothing to us. We will come for you. We will hang a flag in the white. I was expecting that kind of thing. I was. I'm so happy to have been wrong. So happy. I can't tell you how happy that we're not on here this week talking about a terrorist attack. That doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet. There are still the missing airliners from Libya.  … that everybody in the free world needs to be concerned about. A 9-11-style terrorist attack using airplanes as weapons is still on the table, boys and girls, and they don't have to do everything on an anniversary of something they've already done. They can create new anniversaries by attacking on different days. But I was so concerned about that when I heard he was going to give the speech on the 10th. I just knew that they already heard the chatter. They knew something was coming, and it concerned me. But anyway, here is the speech. All right. Now, the Occupier, a.k.a. Barack Hussein Obama, also known as the American president but only by folks who don't actually love America, I think, uh, delivered this, these following remarks at the White House on September 10th, outlining his strategy to… Defeat the non-Islamic Islamic Islamic State militants in Iraq and in Syria. He started out with the traditional, my fellow Americans. Tonight I want to speak to you about what the United States will do with our friends and allies to degrade and ultimately destroy the terrorist group known as ISIL. Again, keep in mind I'm using ISIL because that's just what he said… As Commander in Chief, my highest priority is the security of the American people. Over the last several years, we have consistently taken the fight to terrorists who threaten our country. We took out Osama bin Laden and much of Al Qaeda's leadership in Afghanistan and Pakistan. We've targeted Al Qaeda's affiliate in Yemen, and recently eliminated a top commander of its affiliate in Somalia. We've done so while bringing home more than 140,000 American troops from Iraq and drawing down our forces in Afghanistan, where our combat mission will end later this year. Thanks to our military and counterterrorism professionals, America is safer. Still, We continue to face a terrorist threat. We can't erase every trace of evil from the world, and small groups of killers have the capacity to do great harm. That was the case before 9-11, and that remains true today, and that's why we must remain vigilant as threats emerge. At this moment, the greatest threats come from the Middle East and North Africa.  … or radical groups exploiting grievances for their own gain. And one of those groups is ISIL, which calls itself the Islamic State. Now, let's make two things clear. ISIL is not Islamic. No religion condones the killings of innocents, and the vast majority of ISIL's victims have been Muslim. And… ISIL is certainly not a state. It was formerly al-Qaeda's affiliate in Iraq and has taken advantage of the sectarian strife and Syria's civil war to gain territory on both sides of the Iraq-Syrian border. It is recognized by no government nor by the people it subjugates. ISIL is a terrorist organization, pure and simple wish we could get him to say that about Hamas. And it has no vision other than the slaughter of all who stand in its way. In a a region that has known so much bloodshed, these terrorists are unique in their brutality. They execute captured prisoners. They kill children. They enslave, rape, and force women into marriage. They threaten…  … a religious minority with genocide, and in acts of barbarism, they took the lives of two American journalists, Jim Foley and Stephen Stulloff. They have, of course, since then uh, beheaded a British journalist, which I'm pretty sure most of you have probably seen the videos of by now, or at least heard about the video being posted. So ISIL poses a threat to the people of Iraq and Syria…  … and the the broader Middle East, including American citizens, personnel, and facilities. If left unchecked, these terrorists could pose a growing threat beyond that region, including to the United States. While we have not yet detected specific plotting against our homeland, ISIL leaders have threatened America and our allies. Our intelligence communities believe that thousands of foreigners, including Europeans and some Americans, have joined them in Syria and Iraq. Trained and battle-hardened, these fighters could try to return to their home countries and carry out deadly attacks. I know many Americans are concerned about these threats. Tonight... I want you to know that the United States of America is meeting them with strength and resolve. Last month, I ordered our military to take targeted action against ISIL to stop its advances. Since then, we've conducted more than 150 successful airstrikes in Iraq. These strikes have protected American personnel and facilities, killed ISIL fighters, destroyed weapons, and given space for Iraqi and Kurdish forces to reclaim key territory. These strikes have also helped save the lives of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. But this is not our fight alone. American power can make a decisive difference but we cannot do for Iraqis what they must do for themselves nor can we take the place of arab partners in securing their region that's why i've enlisted insisted i'm sorry that's why i have insisted that additional us action depend upon iraqis forming an inclusive government which they have now which they have now done in recent days. So tonight, with a new Iraqi government in place and following consultations with allies abroad and Congress at home, I can announce that America will lead a broad coalition to roll back this terrorist threat. Our objective is clear. We will degrade and ultimately destroy ISIL, though…  … through a comprehensive and sustained counter strategy. First, we will conduct a systematic campaign of airstrikes against these terrorists. Working with the Iraqi government, we will expand our efforts beyond protecting our own people and humanitarian missions so that we're hitting ISIL targets as Iraqi forces go on offense… Moreover, I have made it clear that we will hunt down terrorists who threaten our country, wherever they are. That means I will not hesitate to take action against ISIL in Syria as well as Iraq. This is a core principle of my presidency. If you threaten America, you will find no safe haven. I wonder if any of his campaign contributors got nervous when he said that. Just wondering. (laughs) I'll continue. Second, we will increase our support to forces fighting these terrorists on the ground. In June, I deployed several hundred American service members to Iraq to assess how we can best support Iraqi security forces. Now that those teams have completed their work and Iraq has formed a government, we will send an additional 475 service members to Iraq. Even though I said no boots on the ground, I'm sending another almost 500. As I have said before, these American forces will not have a combat mission. We will not get dragged into another ground war in Iraq.  … but they are needed to support Iraqi and Kurdish forces with training, intelligence, and equipment. We will also support Iraq's efforts to stand up National Guard units to help Sunni communities secure their own freedom from ISIL control. Across the border in Syria, we have ramped up our military assistance to the Syrian opposition. Tonight, I again call on Congress… Again, did you catch that? Tonight, I again call on Congress again to give us additional authorities and resources to train and equip these fighters. In the fight against ISIL, we cannot rely on the Assad regime that terrorizes its own people, a regime that will never regain the legitimacy that it has lost. I guess Obama would know about that. Instead, we must strengthen the opposition as the best counterweight to extremists like ISIL while pursuing the political solutions necessary to solve Syria's crisis once and for all. Third, we will continue to draw on our substantial counterterrorism capabilities to prevent ISIL attacks. Working with our partners, we will redouble our efforts to cut off its funding improve our intelligence, strengthen our defenses, counter its warped ideology, and stem the flow of foreign fighters into and out of the Middle East. And in two weeks, I will chair a meeting of the UN Security Council to further mobilize the international community around this effort. Fourth, We will continue to provide humanitarian assistance to innocent civilians who have been displaced by this terrorist organization. This includes Sunni and Shia Muslims who are at grave risk, as well as tens of thousands of Christians and other religious minorities. We cannot allow these communities to be driven from their ancient homelands. It's okay for the…  … groups in Hamas to try and do that to the Jews, but uh, we can't let that happen in Iraq. Awesome. (laughs) Excuse me. So this is our strategy, and in each of these four parts of our strategy, America will be joined by a broad coalition of partners. Already, allies are flying planes with us over Iraq sending arms and assistance to Iraqi security forces and the Syrian opposition, sharing intelligence, and providing billions of dollars in humanitarian aid. Secretary Kerry was in Iraq today meeting with a new government and supporting their efforts to promote unity. And in the coming days, he will travel across the Middle East and Europe to enlist more partners in this fight, especially Arab nations who can help mobilize Sunni communities  … in Iraq and Syria to drive these terrorists from their lands. This American leadership at its best
1: (laughs) –
2: it makes me want to throw up actually having said that out loud. Uh, (laughs) We stand with people who fight for their own freedom. Well, that much is true. And we rally other nations on behalf of our common security and common humanity… My administration has also secured bipartisan support for this approach here at home. I have the authority to address the threat from ISIL, but I believe we are strongest as a nation when the president and Congress work together. So I welcome congressional support for this effort in order to show the world that Americans are united in confronting this danger. Now – It will take time to eradicate a cancer like ISIL. And any time we take military action, there are risks involved, especially to the servicemen and women who carry out these missions. But I want the American people to understand how this effort will be different from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. It will not involve American combat troops fighting on foreign soil. This counterterrorism campaign will be waged through a steady, relentless effort to take out ISIL wherever they exist, using our, our, our air power and our support for partners' force on the ground. This strategy of taking out terrorists who threaten us while supporting partners on the front lines is one that we have successfully pursued in Yemen and Somalia for years, and it is Consistent with the approach I outlined earlier this year to use force against anyone who threatens America 's core interests, but to mobilize partners wherever possible to address broader challenges to international order. My fellow Americans, we live in a time of great change. not so much hope left, but a great change tomorrow marks 13 years since our country was attacked. Next week marks six years since our economy suffered its worst setback since the Great Depression. Yet despite these shocks, through the pain we felt and the grueling work required to bounce back, America is better positioned today to seize the future than any other nation on earth. Our technology companies and universities are unmatched. Our manufacturing and auto industries are thriving. Just don't look at the vault. Energy independence is closer than it's been in decades, even though private industry has had to make those pushes and you've tried to use government regulations to stop them. For all the work that remains, our businesses are in the longest uninterrupted stretch of job creation in our history.  … even though those jobs that are being created by my policies are that of head bomb maker and uh, beheaders uh, for ISIS. (laughs) Go figure. Despite all of the divisions and discord within our democracy, we don't have a democracy. We have a constitutional republic, Mr. so-called president. I see the grit and determination and common goodness of the American people every single day… And that makes me more confident than ever about our country's future. I hate it when he says things that I would say. Mm -hmm. Abroad, American leadership is the one constant in an uncertain world. Really? I tried really hard. I went a really good long way just reading this without making comments. I tried to get through it. I can't do it. Sorry. Bear with me. We'll go back and comment here in a little bit with some of the stuff that I need to say though. It is America that has the capacity and the will to mobilize the world against terrorists. It is America that has rallied the world against Russian aggression and in support of the Ukrainian people's rights to determine their own destiny. It is America, our scientists, our doctors, our know how that can help contain and cure the outbreak of Ebola. It is America that helped remove and destroy Syria's declared chemical weapons so that they can't pose a threat to the Syrian people or the world again. And it is America that is helping Muslim communities around the world, not just in the fight against terrorism, but in the fight for opportunity and tolerance and a more hopeful future. America… Our endless blessings bestow an enduring burden. But as Americans, we welcome our responsibility to lead. From Europe to Asia, from the far reaches of Africa to war-torn capitals of the Middle East, we stand for freedom, for justice, for dignity. Really? I thought he just stood for social justice, which is not the same thing. These are values that have guided our nation since its founding. Tonight, I ask for your support in carrying that leadership forward. I do so as a commander-in-chief who could not be prouder of our men and women in uniform pilots who bravely fly into the face of danger above the Middle East, and service members who support our partners on the ground. When we helped prevent the massacre of civilians trapped on a distant mountain, here's what one of them said. We owe our American friends our lives. Our children will always remember that there was someone who felt our struggle and made a long journey to protect innocent people. That is the difference we make in the world, and our own safety, our own security depends upon our willingness to do what it takes to defend this nation and uphold the values that we stand for, Timeless ideas that will endure long after those who offer only hate and destruction have been vanquished from the earth. May God bless our troops. And may God bless the United States of America. Now, that was the speech in its entirety,
1: and
2: I got to tell you, there were times I wanted to throw up in my mouth because there are statements in there. that when you – if you were to hear somebody else – if you heard Ted Cruz or Mitt Romney saying things like the last paragraph about the timeless values… I would be standing up and applauding, but there's something about hearing this guy make those statements that makes me cringe because they sound so hollow, so fake, so perpetrated. It's just still more of the optics as opposed to what's going on on the ground. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's look specifically at things he said and ask the questions. Now, again, he starts out. He says that his highest priority is the security of the American people. Then, why aren't our borders secure? If your highest priority is our security, then you secure our borders. You don't have to close them outright, but you have to secure them. There is no way that people from any other country should be able to cross our border without us knowing. We have a tremendously long border, but we have tremendous capabilities technologically and manpower. You spend, you waste billions of taxpayer dollars every year. You can, can, you can secure our border. If that's your first priority – as commander-in-chief, then that would be your first action, your statement about consistently taking the fight to terrorists who threaten the country. Really? What what have you been doing? You've been killing Americans uh, in Somalia. You've been uh, doing drone strikes around the world because you and uh, uh, Bill Clinton seem to think that it's – Perfectly okay to just drop bombs whenever you feel like it, regardless of borders, but you know, heaven forbid any of us should say, Hey, why don't you protect our borders? You want to talk about taking out bin Laden? You want to talk about taking out Al Qaeda's leadership in Afghanistan and Pakistan? Have you really? I mean, have we actually had these verified? I mean, I want to take you at face value, but. Unfortunately, you've proven to me that I can't. Then you sprinkle in this little bit of truth right here. I mean, you know, that's one of the great things about Satan is the most believable lies are the one that have a ring of truth to it. So you hear this statement that we can't erase every trace of evil from the world, and small groups of killers have the capacity to do great harm. Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. Any reasonable person knows that already. But then you follow that up with what has to be one of the most asinine statements I have heard in a generation, and I've been listening to you your entire time since you started serving in the U.S. Senate. You have made some whoppers, Mr. Obama, but you're going to make two things clear. ISIL is not Islamic. ISIL believes themselves to be so Islamic that it's actually in the name. Hello, smartest guy in the room? Disconnect alert. No religion condones the killing of innocents? Uh, Actually, Islam does in its earliest writings. Again... There's a little more leeway in the later portions of the Quran and the Hadith, but the earliest parts, ooh, not only does it condone it, but it tells you it's your duty to carry it out. Now back to a little piece of the truth. The vast majority of ISIL's victims have been Muslim. Well, yeah, that is true because they simply weren't medieval enough for ISIL's tastes. They have killed a lot of Muslims. they killed a lot of people, period. If you're not part of their group, if you don't uh, sign on board with their ideology, their philosophy, then you got to go. But that is in line with the teachings of Islam. Now, I understand if you want to try and make the point that… Not all Muslims believe this to be the case anymore and that they have moved on to the later uh, verses from the Hadith where the violence isn't so much. That isn't so much. There's still violence. Islam is a religion of peace because the idea is eventually there's no one other than them left. When everyone believes exactly as you do and gets in line and gets on board then there's no reason to not be peaceful anymore, is there? But it is for peace through the sword. That's the part that always gets left out. Islam is a religion of peace through the sword. Say the whole thing, you're right. Leave out part of it, you're playing with optics, Mr. President. Then you want to sit around and say ISIL is certainly not a state. Well, it doesn't fit the legal definition of a government state, yeah, but their name isn't about what they are now. Their name is about what they intend on becoming. They're instituting a caliphate, something that just three years ago some of your top intelligence people were saying was a ridiculous fantasy that could never happen. It's happening right there. And then you say that ISIL, ISIS, was formerly al-Qaeda's affiliate in Iraq. There's no formal, formerly al-Qaeda. These people are al-Qaeda still. They change their name often enough so that they can still receive aid – through other channels. This is al-Qaeda. ISIS is al-Qaeda. That's not a former affiliate. Look, it doesn't matter if you're officially part of a group that calls itself al-Qaeda or if you're al-Qaeda in Iraq. You're still al-Qaeda. You agree with the ideology. You agree with the philosophy. You're al-Qaeda. That's what these people are. He talks about a region that's seen so much bloodshed that these terrorists are unique in their brutality. What I will tell you, these people have taken tactics that we probably have not seen to this degree on this wide a scale since the days of Genghis Khan. But then the examples you give, they execute prisoners, they kill children, they enslave, rape, and force women into marriage. That's not unique in the Muslim world. Any place where Sharia law is in place, the enslavement, rape, and forcing of women into marriage is commonplace. Children are killed whenever they uh, dishonor the head of the household… Ever hear of an honor killing? Killing a prisoner? That's unheard of? Why have we heard about it so often over the last several decades? I suppose it's a threat to the people of Iraq and Syria. Yes, they certainly do. And to the broader Middle East, uh, for those that oppose them, yes. Does that include American citizens' personnel and facilities? Yes. Okay, so again – Here we go, the exaggeration, and then the salt of truth that tries to help you pull it all down. And then he talks about our intelligence communities believe that thousands of foreigners, including Europeans and some Americans, have joined them in Syria and Iraq. Now, first of all, anything our intelligence communities are believing right now, we need to seriously question because our intelligence had us trying to rescue Jim Foley… And by the time our guys got where they were going on the ground, no one had been there for some time. So our intelligence is either very outdated or horribly wrong to begin with, and in either case, we have to be concerned. But this isn't a matter of what the intelligence community believes. We know for a fact people with European passports and people with American passports have went to Iraq, to Syria, to Pakistan… We know they have trained. We know they have fought with these people, and we know that some of them want to come back and do the same things in their homeland. Well, that's why we've seen the beheadings in England, because people are doing exactly that. The influence is real. The dangers are real. We need to be aware of it. Now, I get real nervous when we start talking about passing legislation to strip citizenship from people because… Just like with the Patriot Act, while it sounds initially like a really good idea and common sense, we know that our government isn't really good at applying common sense. They thoroughly enjoy the idea of having more power and more authority. Please, American people, let us do this till we, at least until we get to the point where you can't stop us anymore. But it's all about protecting you. But then what happens when just people going to Syria and Iraq aren't enough? Well, what about people who went to Pakistan? Well, what about people that went to Turkey? What about people who just went to England and was influenced by people who had come back to England from there? Well, what about people that just say our government needs to be limited See, that's how that progression starts and keeps going. We give them that little bit, and then they amend that law, and they amend that law, and they change it. So, and it's dangerous to start down that path, so I get real nervous. Now, on the offset, if these people go and are actively engaged, they need to be treated like enemy combatants. Yeah, so don't take them prisoner. Don't bring them back over here. They've cast it in their lot. But the legal apparatus to strip U.S. citizenship from these people, again, sounds like a great idea on the basis if these are the only people you're targeting. But I get scared because our government has a proven track record of never sleeving things at the good intentions. they talked about uh, many Americans being concerned about the threats should be. I am. I think everybody should be. I don't think we should be so concerned that we let it take us away from our daily lives and our daily routines, but we need to be aware of it. We need to be made better aware by our media of some of the things that are going on that we're shielded from as far as the motivations. A couple of the uh, broadcasts I've done recently involve acts of jihad in America that the media has been covering up the connection between their belief in Islam, … and their belief that they're carrying carrying out acts of jihad in relationship to the horrible crimes they've been committing. Does it paint a bad picture for all Muslims? Yeah, you can say it does, but it does no one any service when you're not up front and let us know what the motivations are for these crimes… Does no one any service. Now he wants to brag about the fact that he ordered the military to target and to take action against ISIS to stop its advances. He talks about 150 successful airstrikes, okay? 150 times he's had people fly over and drop bombs on convoys, which, oh, by the way, we have pictures that surfaced this week coming out of Syria, brand-new Toyota pickup trucks being used by ISIS.  … that were bought and paid for with US taxpayer dollars and given to the rebel groups in Syria, which gets us to this whole point about how this is not America's fight alone. And it's not. This is anyone who stands up for freedom in the world. If you believe in liberty, if you believe in freedom of anything…  … then this is your fight because these people believe in total and complete subjugation. You fall in line with the imams. You fall in line and do what Sharia demands you do. And they will go around just like we've had going on in Germany. Groups that have gotten together and are policing the nightclub districts because… There are people that are drinking and you know, drinking alcohol and engaged in prostitution-type activities, so this is prohibited, and we are not going to be satisfied with just saying, hey, brother, don't do this. It's bad for you. Uh, we're going to stop you from doing it. This is happening in Germany. Now, the government has promised that they're going to crack down on it, and I think I might have briefly mentioned it last week. Dropping bombs from the air doesn't really do a whole lot unless you're hitting them constantly over and over again and taking the fight where they are. Now, he said in this speech that he is going to do exactly that, but they are not just in Iraq and Syria. We talked about that for the last two weeks. They have operations going on in Jordan. They have moseyed themselves right up to the Saudi-Arabian border. They are actually controlling territory and have a command structure in Iran, just across the border. The Iranians haven't been able to push them out yet. Haven't made much of an effort to as far as I can tell. He says no boots on the ground, but he's sending service members, 475, already sent several hundred before. These are just support personnel. They're not going to be involved in combat. I think that's kind of up to ISIS because if they come trying to blow up the base, I think they're probably going to fight back, or at least I certainly hope so. He admits that he's ramped up military assistance to the Syrian opposition. Again, that is al-Qaeda. That is ISIS. These are the people we're supposedly fighting. They're the same people he's trying to help. And, of course, they keep trying to talk, and John McCain is way off point on this too. Keep talking about how he's vetted some of these people. How do you vet people by showing up one time and talking to them? Can anybody explain that to me? How are these people vetted? How did you vet them, Mr. McCain? The point is there were some people there that we probably could have gotten behind and supported in an attempt to overthrow Assad if it came down to it. But those people aren't the ones in charge anymore, and you have ISIS and you have the Muslim Brotherhood who are all on board with removing Assad. Why? Because he's a sectarian. He does not believe that they should be a theocracy. He would never institute Sharia law broadly across the base. So he is their enemy. They want him out of the way. They want him gone. Do you really think that these people are going to stop fighting Assad and start fighting ISIS who have the same goal that they do? Do you want to get rid of Assad? We want to get rid of Assad. Why don't we work together and get rid of Assad? Then they're going to fight it out with each other. That's what's going to happen there. But he admits that he's going to give more aid to the very people he's trying to fight, and he wants to tell you that that's not what's happening. He wants you to believe that that's not the case. We're trying to help the people in Syria. He talks about going to the UN Security Council… We're going to have to because so far his willing coalition of allies and folks in the area, nine, nine different governments are officially on board. That's it. They used to make fun of W. They made fun of uh, the first president. Uh, I'm sorry, but the elder Bush, didn't he have 43 … countries in the Coalition of the Willing. They used to make fun of that. Well, gee, why isn't the whole world lined that? Ultimately, though, this speech, aside from being utterly ridiculous, is nothing more than optics… He has no interest in protecting America or her interest. He's looking for an excuse to go into Syria a little bit stronger, and this provides cover. He's still pushing the Muslim Brotherhood agenda. He's picked a side in the ever-ongoing battle between Sunni and Shia. We saw it in Libya. We've seen it in Iraq. We will see it in Syria if he has his way. Unfortunately, I could probably could just keep going on the topic, but we've got only about 11 minutes left in the show, and I think we really do need to uh, hit on the uh, promised topics. <laughs> First of all, with headlines you may have missed. Now, if you are constantly scanning the uh Conservative media side, you probably have not missed this, but there is a chance that you may have. So that being said, I wanted to talk a little bit about what your favorite and my favorite so-called documentary filmmaker has had to say recently. Mr. Michael Moore, who ordinarily I could care less, and I know most of you guys could too, made the statement in an interview uh, that Barack Obama will be remembered in history as being the first black president. And that's pretty much it. He essentially came out and said that uh, President Obama has done nothing worth remembering. I'll actually uh, disagree with uh, Mr. Moore in that case because he's done some stuff worth remembering. He has made every effort to fundamentally transform America by forcing the socialist mentality of Obamacare on America. But I always find it interesting when you see somebody who's so firmly on the left who has become disappointed in Obama not because… He failed to provide quality leadership, but because he failed to push to the left hard enough, Uh, you've you've got to understand that in the grand scheme of things, if the next president who comes along manages to undo a lot of the damage that he has done, which will require help from Congress, I might add then yeah, there may be very little left to be said about Obama's presidency other than the fact that he was the first at least half-black man to become president of the United States. Now, I I only selected this as a headline you may have missed because I really like the idea of the bigger names on the left.  … completely bailing on this failed presidency. And that's exactly what's going on. They're bailing on him left and right as well they should have. He's let them down. So now he's completely failed both sides of the American political spectrum. All right, now we're going to hit on a couple of topics real quick. Uh, Outrage of the week, as promised… Uh, a Muslim subway manager kicked out a disabled veteran with a service dog. Now, uh, of course, they're trying to play this up in the article a lot bigger. It's basically saying Sharia law comes to America. Well, first of all, Sharia law has been attempted to be practiced in communities in America for some time now. This is not new. But at any rate, a Muslim manager of a subway franchise in Patterson, New Jersey kicked out a disabled veteran because of his service dog. And then he and the owner repeatedly lied about it to a stunned New York ABC reporter who confronted them about it. Now they had a video, and you can find this uh, on toprightnews.com if you want to take a look at the article. But uh, the video is simply unbelievable they keep denying it. So kudos to the ABC Seven Sarah Wallace for exposing this outrageous disrespect for both this veteran and federal law because, you see, U.S. federal law is very clear. Dogs are recognized as service animals, and all businesses open to the public, including restaurants, must allow them in. But a U.S. Army veteran says that a subway restaurant in Parkson, New Jersey blatantly ignored the law, and now he's determined to send them a message in court… Richard Hunter's troubled life turned around in July when the U.S. Army veteran received a service dog from the nonprofit group Dogs for Warriors. The 50 year old suffers from severe post traumatic stress disorder. Now, the manager, Murtel Ahmed, and the owner, Safar Phantom, lied to Wallace, and she's amazed at the brazenness of their dishonesty. Unfortunately, the Muslims' dogs are unclean. Um, in multiple passages in the Quran and the Hadith, dogs are denounced as ruining prayers, deducting good deeds, and even in one passage, they talk about a Muslim even killing this dog because angels will not enter homes with dogs. Now, I know we've heard about for years now Muslim cab drivers in Minneapolis uh, who serve airports, uh, that have kicked out blind passengers with guide dogs, or even customers transporting alcohol. Uh, Bottom line is, if they want to do that, fine. They can do that in Tehran uh, or in Gaza, but here in the United States of America, uh, we don't practice Sharia law, and you're going to work in the service industry. You have to serve the public. Now, on the ABC7 site, Wallace has an extended interview with the owner of the franchise, and his dishonesty is breathtaking. The question now is, what is Subway Worldwide going to do about this particular incident? you got to know they're not going to be happy with a franchisee doing this to one of their customers. Now… Another quick outrage of the week, although this is more par for the course. Uh, It seems Megan Kelly is under fire again, uh, this time, from CARE. See, they want her to retract statements that she made during a report about honor killings. (laughs) Excuse me. Now, isn't it always fun when CARE… Gets involved. I mean Megyn Kelly is no stranger to public criticism. Since she started her own show, she's really taken a lot of heat on different texts because she doesn't back down. But she rarely, rarely ever steps back from any of the things that she says. Now, according to recent reports, Kelly is once again facing backlash after covering a segment on honor killings and the treatment of women in Muslim countries on her show, The Kelly Files. After the segment aired, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, a.k.a. CARE, publicly denounced it and demanded a retraction. Kelly's response, quote, guess what? You're not going to get it. <laughs> now, CARE is, of course, tasked with the monumental job of defending Islam. There is no mistaking that their agenda is not to help victims of Sharia law or victims of honor killings… the kind that Kelly was actually talking about in our segment. Instead, they want the mainstream media to keep the violence under wraps. It's necessary to convince people that they're a religion of peace by the sword, and they are the first to speak up when the truth comes out. Now, they're putting a lot of pressure on Fox News to the point that they actually want Megan to lose… Her job. Now, I don't think Fox will do that. uh, I mean you just never know what's going to happen. What's outrageous here is, again, she's bringing to light how women are treated in the Muslim world, the truth, showing where the real war on women happens to be, and care, as it so often does. Wants to dissuade you from knowing the truth so that you can continue to believe the myth that Islam is a religion of peace. Well, you know, that's going to have to be the show. Uh, This week, we're inside the last minute and a half at this point. So, again, thanks for everybody who's listening. Thanks to the folks in the chat room. Thank you, Lady Michelle in particular, for your uh, insights and uh, everything that uh, you had to say in there. Uh, Thanks, Larry, for listening in as well. Uh, Always enjoy it when you guys are in the chat room. I want to make sure that everybody has a great upcoming weekend. Remember to stay on alert. Uh, Thanks, uh, Lady Michelle. You have a a great week too. Uh, Stay on alert because, like I said, we are not out of the woods yet. Uh, We have to be forever on guard, and as long as our borders are as open as they are and there are soft targets anywhere near where you live, we all have to be vigilant. But uh, hey, don't take my word for it, (laughs) but definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Always be prepared to put in a little effort, do your own research, do your own homework, and be prepared to dig just a little bit on your own if you really want to tap into the truth. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you back next week, and we also will hopefully have uh, Mr. Demay rescheduled some point soon, maybe even as early as next week, but right now, can't say. Have a great week, everybody.